Welcome back to another episode of N-Express Nintendo Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of GoombaStomp.com. I'm your host, Cameron Dax, and joining us, we have games editor Mark Kalaroff. Metroid Prime has arrived. I, I got a physical. Oh, nice. Okay. I was what I was, yeah. was going to ask you that <laughs> off mic, but I, I forgot, so I'm glad it's finally here. Um, also joining mm-hmm. us, indie games editor Campbell Gill. Can't wait to be a TriPath podcaster tonight. <sighs> God damn it. Um... <laughs> I love that, actually. Uh, so, uh, listen, we've got a big, chunky topic to talk about after we take our little break here. But before we get to the meat, we got we, we teased it last week, but Mark has some thoughts about the Splatoon 3 Inkopolis expansion. DLC. Um, <laughs> I mean, listen, not to start off on a sour note, thoughts. but Mark, why don't you uh, lead us into it here? I don't know what was going on at Nintendo. Maybe the marketing has failed Splatoon. Maybe the developers have failed Splatoon, but the first uh, the first wave of Splatoon's expansion pass is here, and it quite literally offers nothing. I, I'm not what? even sure how they can consider this the first half of the DLC, because in the current Splatsville setup for Splatoon 3, you can go to a train station, and instead of having Splatsville as your hub world, you can have Inkopolis. Except the problem is, that's it. There is nothing to Inkopolis, <laughs> and I'm very serious. Hmm. There's a few, you know, a few alternate characters run the store, but when you go into a shop, it's like the same exact setup. Maybe there's a different character for like one or two of them, and then it's literally just, it's Inkopolis. I just don't understand why this is marketed. You know, it's it's being set up as like, this big first wave one of two for the DLC. And it's like, that's all that's in it. There's nothing else in it. There's no new weapons. There's no new maps. There's no nothing. It's literally just, you you go to Inkopolis and that's it. You could set it as like your hub world when you open up the game, but it's like, it's pointless. There's no, it's literally like, I hate to say nostalgia bait, but that's literally what this is. There's nothing else to this entire DLC. It's just an alternate hub world that you can use, which seems pointless because when you have the fast travel and you're going to use that anyways, the second you boot up the game, it's like, why? You know? It just hmm. it doesn't make any sense that this is the first half of a paid DLC, nonetheless. That does seem so, very, very I wish I had more to so say. I never... <laughs> I, I never played Splatoon One, um, and mm-hmm. Inkopolis is the is the hub world from Splatoon One. Is that right? Yes, it is. It, ha- so, it kind of has like an Eiffel Tower, like in the uh, the Plaza Center where the battles are. Yeah, I'm looking at. Some, and then it's just I'm like some screenshots. Here's right the now. good thing: it's the most compact hub world Splatoon has ever have, and it's the easiest mm. to traverse. So I like that about it. But the thing is, is that 
There's no, like, they didn't bring back the Squid Jump minigame. There's no alternate training rooms or something that goes with the theme of the first Splatoon. It's literally just the outer shell of it that's different to walk around in. But once you hit the shops, this isn't like a separate shop where you could travel between Splatsville and it has its own set of shops, so that way you can double up on items every day or like something like that. It's nothing. Well, it's literally just like that, that, you could travel between the two and the shops are the same. So if you want to buy like multiple items throughout the day, you can't travel between the two and double up. That's not how it works. It's literally the same shop with the same gear and everything. Is there, <laughs> There's just no point to it. Is, is there anything, at least if I were somebody who played the original game, in full disclosure, I didn't. But if I were one of those people and I played first game, loved it, is that at least like anything like nostalgic throwbacks in there, cool Easter eggs, something that makes it worthwhile? <laughs> no, there's nothing. <laughs> it's just, it's the same hub world. They, they extended it like a tiny bit to include Salmon Run and the... Uh, the the squid card game that you could play but it's like that's it <laughs> callie and marie are here and you'll be able to see them when there's you know splat fest which i guess is nice you know it's it's cool if you want to see them but like there's just no point to it if it's such an odd it's the oddest dlc nintendo has ever made period i like i have nothing to say about this and yet it's like it was intriguing enough to write about. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say because yeah, well, reading your article online online on Goombastomp Mark uh, with the wonderful headline of Splatoon 3's and Gauntlet DLC might be nostalgic, but it's totally shallow. I love reading it because it's just a whole bunch of variations on there has to be more. There isn't anything more. Surely there's more. <laughs> there's nothing more. There's really nothing there to really this. There really isn't. Over the course of like 800-ish words, <laughs> which all props and to you. And you would think that they would have, you know, they would have brought over like the first game's campaign, maybe like some throwback missions or something that you could play. But no, it's like the single player area, the, the, uh, the manhole that you would access it through. It's like it's sealed off. There's nothing there. The, some of the characters aren't even here, like Krusty, uh, Krusty Sean, who had like a, uh, he was like a shrimp tempura with a, uh, a truck that he would ride around in. Like, he's gone. He's not even here. I don't, you know, I have to check again, but I don't even think Judd, the cat, is in the hub world. I don't even remember seeing him there. Hmm. I mean, it's I, just I, odd. I certainly could It's tell so you. odd. Wow, I don't know why uh, this is the thing. Point is, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy the Splatoon DLC, um, either you're putting a, a down payment on it right now, way in advance, or you're gonna buy it when the single player story comes out in a couple months. So you should probably do that and save your money for now. <laughs> That's extremely. I mean, I don't know how surprising it is, but it is interesting um, that it's so such a thin. Such a thin layer in, in the um, mm -hmm. so that's so that's so funny. So the first game had like mini games and stuff that you could do in the in the hub world, and this game and this this DLC just has none there was yeah there wasn't there was a mini game. It was called Squid Jump, which you would play while like waiting for um, the lobbies for the games. Which it's basically like a uh, do you know like the iPhone game Doodle Jump, where it's like the, the little guy like there's a game jumps on the platforms. Jump. <laughs> But it's basically, it's like a platformer where if you fall, you instantly die. So you have to jump mm -hmm. really high to, like, the next platform and keep going up. And it's like an infinite, like, arcade -y sort of game. There's an Easter egg. You could sure. see it in the shoal. It's, like, on an arcade cabinet. 
but you can't play it, which sucks, because it's like, you might as well have thrown that in as like a cute little bonus, but nope, there's quite literally nothing to this DLC. So wow. bizarre. Mark, what would have been the bare minimum, at least, that they could have done for this DLC? Throwback missions to the first game. Just take those, some of those, like a best of compilation of like some of those missions from the original. Just stick them in here. I think that would have been great. I think if there was some like more interactivity where there was like dialogue or something with the older characters to see what they've been up to would have been nice. But a lot of them aren't even here. Like Sheldon's not here. So it's like, it's just odd. This whole thing is just baffling. It should have been, here's how they should have marketed it. It should have been like, this is a bonus. If you, you know, when you buy like the single player story, side order like it's coming in the future but this is like a little bonus for you if you plan on buying it that's how they should have said it but instead they're like this is the wave one of two for the splatoon 3 dlc and it's like this isn't even dlc you're saying there is nothing here you're saying they you're saying they should have marketed as like instead of wave one wave two just like i don't know one big wave kind of thing yeah yeah, just the side order DLC, and then if you buy it right now, this is, like, a little bonus if, you know, you'll still get it either way, but right now you can, like, access Ingopolis if you want. I think that's the perfect way to market it. Instead, it's, like, this is the, you know, like, what kind of what kind of precedent does this, like, set, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's just so odd. I, I just don't understand it. It's weird. That's It sounds weird. I, uh... Wow, I. It sounds like there's not much more to say about that, other than that, like that's a very strange start to uh, this this wave of DLC. Mm-hmm. And um, what's funny is I know in a couple months, you know, I'm gonna be like, oh, the side order DLC is great. Everyone should buy it. Like I already, I have a feeling it's gonna be really good. But it's mm. funny because it's like I'm basically saying you're gonna buy this either way. <laughs> <laughs> interesting how ironic huh that is really weird um well uh, i guess i guess we're gonna <laughs> i guess we'll <laughs> jump to something that's got a little more meat on its bones than the very thin wave one dlc but before we do that we're gonna take a a very brief break and we're gonna come right back and dive into octopath traveler 2 courtesy of campbell who's been spending a lot of time playing this game so hang tight We'll be back with hopefully a more substantial discussion. (laughs) (laughs) The pressure's on. (laughs) Pressure's on.
and we're back. Campbell, Octopath Traveler 2. Hell the yes. latest gigantic Square Enix RPG in the beautiful HD 2D style. Why don't you tell us a little bit about... Well, listen, I'm saying a little bit. Why don't you tell us a lot about this <laughs> game? And we will, we will pepper you with questions. Brilliant. I've got so much to say about this game. I don't even know where to begin with this. I think the best way to start well, is just to say... This. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Cameron. No, 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 please. You tell me You tell me the best way to start. I don't want to step on my, your toes. My best way to start is just to say <laughs> that, for me at least, this is like the textbook definition of a perfect sequel. Octopath Traveler wow. 2 is... I am obsessed with this game in a way that I haven't been in so very long. I just I loved the original Octopath Traveler. It was one of my favorite RPGs on the Switch, one of my favorite games on the Switch back when it released in 2018. And Octopath 2 takes everything that made that first game so memorable, so special, so so great and adds on to it and not only just like makes it bigger adds in more features but the additions are meaningful they address issues that were present in the original title they address a lot of the very valid criticisms that the original game had and fix it up to make an experience that's much more you know firstly much more substantial than the original much more polished and yet at the same time streamlined and cohesive you know that's like the the overarching start to it it's really one of those games that just it's been taking my breath away throughout all of it because of how well it refines the original formula when octopath traveler released in 2018 it was a big deal right because it was early into the switch's lifespan it was a huge rpg it was a graphically stunning title it got a lot of attention and a lot of praise it was lauded for the combat system which was extremely unique a turn-based system uh that was a lot like the classic final fantasy titles but adding in new mechanics called the boost and break system which i'm sure we'll get into mm. much greater detail on later mm. on and it's you know, Yum. It's fantastic, right? And that combat system, so addictive, so fun throughout the entire campaign. So many ways to break that. But there were issues with it, too, in that the story, as the title would allude to, there isn't really a main story in the original Octopath Traveler. It's eight characters, eight paths, eight completely standalone stories. And that decentralized narrative structure was fine, but the way they handled it, there were definitely some issues with it. The eight characters have almost no interaction throughout the entire story. There are little bits and bobs here and there, like little side uh, side interactions, but they're just very, very minor, and none of them are very meaningful. Characters literally vanish during each other's cutscenes. The individual stories were great. They were gripping. A lot of them were, at the very least. Maybe a bit uneven, but for the most part, the stories themselves were great, but the structure was just so disorienting, right? Just, just see how it's so... Um, uh, decentralized that the stores are so disconnected from each other yes and then on top of that was always a uh, yeah go ahead. i was gonna say just going no. going off of that um the all the other major criticism that i had for octopath and that a lot of other people did was the overall gameplay structure too was just very weirdly linear yet i would also say circular at the same time where you would hmm. have it's linear in that every chapter every character's chapter would have the exact same structure 
you go to a town, yes. you interact with the NPCs, you find a dungeon, you go through the dungeon, you beat a boss, rinse and repeat four times for each character, you complete their chapters, you complete their stories, 40 chapters, you're done, right? It boils down to that exact same formula every single time. Octopath Traveler right. 2 addresses all of those and does so beautifully in ways both large and and in small and camera i know you were you had some comments and questions before i rambled on uh, what, were, what were you guys no say? no uh i was just gonna kind of uh because i've been playing a little bit of octopath traveler mm -hmm. um it's on game pass um i think it's leaving game pass actually Xbox it game is pass. yeah and uh it might already be gone actually by the time we lose this episode octopath traveler is gone so don't even bother um <laughs> uh, so I've, I've been kind of because because i had always heard it's like a fantastic uh, rpg and so i wanted to experience it for myself um i enjoyed what i played of it i didn't get that far i only unlocked i don't know three or four characters mm -hmm. um i did like the chapter one of three or four characters i enjoyed what i played the music's phenomenal the battle right. scene is incredible yeah. but uh definitely started to feel that like okay am i really gonna play all eight characters, all four chapters of all eight characters. Like, I, I couldn't quite see myself investing, especially, listen, especially on a home console, mm -hmm. you know? Right, like, right. maybe if I got really into, like, Xbox Game Cloud or something and, and had a, a device to, to, to play it anywhere. Um, or, you know, or perhaps it's better suited on Switch, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, being able to, the portable nature of this game. Um, it's funny, I, I was doing a little research on Octopath Traveler. Mm -hmm. um, and it was designed for the Switch. Like, the, the developers of that game were like, we want this to be on a portable console. We, we right. specifically want it to be able to kind of, you can take little bites of it here and there. Um, and you can kind of feel that, especially, like, sitting on my couch trying to play this game for more than an hour at a time. And I was like, okay, like, this is a game that deserves to be broken up into little chunks. And exactly. I mean that positively. Like, uh, some of my fondest memories are playing RPGs on the Game Boy Advance, um, like in a little you know little little tiny bits at a time yeah um so i'm curious to hear how octopath traveler 2 um you know fares or doesn't fare on the switch like what what is do you feel as, as if is it designed for a portable console do you, oh, yeah. do you like how, how does that legacy kind of come into play here oh yeah it very much has a, a very similar i'll say it's not the same structure as octopath one but an extremely extremely similar overall design to it and it's just wonderfully suited to uh playing it on the switch right it's nowhere near as repetitive as the original octopath was which i think is the biggest improvement that it makes hmm. so each chapter each character's chapter it's once again you know eight characters eight standalone storylines make no mistake it's still disconnected right the stories are still their own independent things but the structure within each story is completely different each chapter you never really know what you're going to get sure some of them do resort to that same structure of going to a town interact with the townspeople find the dungeon fight the boss cutscene end of chapter but a lot of other ones are completely different from that. There are some chapters that don't even have combat in them at all. You just explore a town, you talk to people, you look around the town, you uncover secrets, you talk, to, you um, inspect townspeople, you learn their their hidden information, all that kind of stuff. Other ones are simple uh, combat gauntlets, essentially, no dungeons, no explorations, just battle. 
other ones in addition to all that have you go to multiple areas all around the in-game world interacting with huge cast of characters exploring different areas so that it really nails that variety aspect of it not only that but the story tone for each uh, chapter too each character's storyline has its own unique tone unique style and we can get into the individual characterizations in a bit i think but it really nails that variety that makes it feel like less of a grind which is what the original game could definitely have where it's like all right i'm doing this again a b point a to point b to point c rinse and repeat rinse and repeat whereas now every time you start a chapter you don't know what you're gonna get and playing it on switch is fantastic because it's very much suited still to that pick up and play nature of all right i'm gonna pick it up and have a 30 minute session where i go through a particio story right now or i'm not going to do a story i'm going to explore the overworld a bit now you know it's still it can still very much be broken into chunks and i think the pacing very much supports that both in the stories themselves in the chapters and in just the overall structure of the world right because it's it's in, I wouldn't call it quite an open world game, but it's open-ended to the point where you can go essentially anywhere you want, your level permitting, of course. This is an RPG, so you can be level 15, but you can go into an area full of level 50 enemies, and you're not going to make it very far, right? But you still have that liberty to move around wherever you want. Each area of the overworld is broken down into little self-contained chunks. So playing down the Switch, you can be like, hey, I'm just going to explore this one little biome for a bit, see what treasure I can find, maybe level up a bit, maybe see if there's NPCs around that can do some side quests. It's still quite lended to that. But I think where this is key is that variety I was talking about makes the game feel less repetitive, less grinding for longer dedicated gameplay sessions which makes it to me especially suited for the Switch because it's not only fitting for the portable play, but also for the home console element of it too, where you dock the Switch, you settle down for hours, you know, blitzing out a whole character's arc or something like that, right? Wow. So very, very suited to that. Awesome. So I guess um, <laughs> we, we were talking about this um, a couple of weeks ago, Campbell, you and I. <laughs> the... Uh, sort of the wild shifts in tone in Octopath Traveler 1 between certain character <laughs> uh, chapters. Uh, how have you found... I mean, and, and again, not that that's a good or a bad thing. Like, it's just it's just a thing that exists. Like, you, at one minute, you're you're doing, like, very silly... Uh, what is it? Tressa, the, the merchant. Mm-hmm, you're doing the right. very kind of like, all right, we got the Tressa storyline. And then you're, like, the hard pivot to the Primrose storyline, which is like, oh, this is dark. Do, right. do you think that Octopath Traveler 2 is... Uh, like, where does it land on that spectrum? Do you, do you find um, all the stories to be similar in tone, or is there, like, a nice variety? The, it, it's still a nice variety, but it's not quite as much of a jarring shift as you'd have in the original game. What's really interesting is that the stories take on a whole bunch of different tones. The characters themselves have wild, wildly varying personalities and backstories, but the, to- the stories themselves interestingly enough, tend to revolve around similar themes. Overall, these are stories of revenge, for the most part. Either revenge or justice are, like, the two major themes you have here. Most of them are for revenge. Um, 
Whether well, it's, I mean, Campbell, those are those are the those are the two modes of living your life, right? Is that either yeah. you're chasing revenge or you're chasing justice. Like mm-hmm. I see no, I see no problem. Yeah, totally, totally. But you know, you can you can try to to Octopath One, where Tress is just like, I'm a merchant and I'm having fun, and then you know, there's yeah. Primrose, like you said, who's like, <laughs> you know, my my father is dead. I am, uh, <laughs> I work in a brothel. I'm going to seduce people. I'm going to murder people. All this kind of stuff. It's like you know, yeah. quite quite a shift there but whereas for octopath one these are stories that have very serious objectives to them very serious settings but the characters themselves have different attitudes of approaching that right so on the justice angle you have uh one of my favorite characters is Particio, who's of the merchant class, like Tressa was in the original Octopath. And really, every character, I should add, has the same classes as you had in the original game. So you still got your merchant, your warrior, your dancer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so the same classes. But Particio is great because his story is where he's in this, like, western mining town. It's very much phrased after the Old West stereotype. Uh, he's got... Uh, a southern accent he's a cowboy and it's fantastic i love him to pieces whenever he starts into when he like charges into battle he goes yeehaw and i'm like i love you man i love you but his yeah. story is where he's in this little this dilapidated town this mining town that was a boom town at one point but it gets acquired by this wealthy landowner who starts just exploiting the resources of the town everybody gets worked to the bone they're impoverished by the end people are starting Starving. And Particio's whole story is basically he's a socialist cowboy who's out to destroy capitalism. Like he literally says, what? capitalism <laughs> is my enemy. His first boss capitalism battle is my enemy. Yeah, right. What? His That's fir- incredible. His first boss battle is I'm going to kill my landlord. So it's just like, hell yeah. I love this. I love this guy. You know what? <laughs> Campbell, I know writers who use subtext, and they're all cowards. Right? Incredible. I'm going to eradicate that that demon called poverty from the world, and I'm going to destroy capitalism to do it. And I'm like, hell yeah, brother. Fight the good fight, man. I need to buy this game immediately. I mean, it's Um, also a little ironic because he's still a merchant. His whole thing is buying and selling stuff, but he's like an ethical merchant, I guess you could say. Where he's he's like, I'm doing fine. He's an ethical merchant. He's like, I'm going to do this for the good of those around me, as opposed to landlords who, you know, drain the life out of everybody and everything around them, or big business execs who destroy the environment. His whole arch nemesis is the CEO of a major corporation, too. So like what? Right? I I love this man's arc. It's it's fantastic. Right, yeah. So you have him on one hand, and his story is fun for that reason, but it's also it's still pretty serious too, because there's lots his whole element is like rising out of crushing poverty, you know, feeding his feeding his sick and dying father with, you know, like whatever leftover scraps he can find in town, to eventually trying to save those around him, to lift people out of poverty by destroying the destroying the exploitative systems of capitalism, right? So it's both silly and very serious at the same time. So that's 
the justice angle I'm talking about with the storylines here. Oh. But when it comes to something like revenge, on the complete polar opposite of that, you have a thief character whose name is Throne, and her backstory is she was born into this criminal organization called the Black Snakes. And everybody who's part of the Black Snakes are born into it, they're in it for life, they wear this, this iron collar around their neck that they cannot remove, the only keys that exist to those collars are held by the leaders of the organization who are just called mother and father and her whole plot what? is right it, oh and trust me her story goes in wild wild directions um but her whole arc is she's like i gotta get out of here i'm going to kill mother and father i'm going to get my way out of this organization i'm going to be free but then her whole story is about what is freedom right and what are you going to do to get to get your freedom to escape from this life of crime and are you really ever going to escape that because her whole first chapter is about hey if i'm going to get out of this crime crime organization I'm still going to have to murder. I'm still going to have to steal. I'm still going to have to, you know, hurt those around me in order to get out of this. What is right? What is wrong? Her, her first boss even is this really like morally conflicted gray area, I would say, of a battle that is, you know, I don't want to go into too many specifics because it's a cool moment to experience in, in the game itself. But her, her whole arc goes in such dark, wild, frankly twisted directions that also are just so cool in the moment as well. Some of my favorite bosses in the game so far have been in Throne's campaign. And she's definitely mm. one of the darkest ones. There's another one being Oswald, who is a leading scholar and a sorcerer. He is part of the scholar class, which um, I can't remember the name of the scholar in the original um, original Octopath. But he's that same same general character. Uh, Cyrus. There you go, Cyrus. Um, mm -hmm. So he's got that same arc, but his story is that his wife and children were murdered in a fire... And uh, he got framed for their death and got Wait, banished. They were murdered, like like like, like arson. Somebody, yeah, somebody set the house on fire and he got framed for oh for that murder. Then he gets sent to a prison <laughs> island. Intense, right? He gets sent to a prison island for five years, where they literally put like a muzzle on him so he can't talk because otherwise he'll start casting <laughs> spells and breaking out. So, and also his path action, which we haven't even gone into the element of path actions yet. They're basically ways you can interact with other characters in the world his path action is he can mug anybody he wants you you beat people up in battle and take their possessions um and his whole opening act is trying to break out of this this you know horrifying prison island uh, which is in the middle of the frigid north people are dying on the job all that kind of stuff so and his whole arc is vengeance i'm going to enact my vengeance on whoever did this to me to my family um so it gets really dark, right? But all that being said, it's still not as wildly varying as we had in the original Octopath because the stories adhere to those same themes. Vengeance or justice, right? And another, I gave two examples of vengeance. I'll give you another example of the justice angle being one of my other favorite characters on a very different different side of it is Agnea, 
who's a dancer, and her whole goal is she just wants to become a superstar. She just wants to dance and sing and make people happy. And it's just a gosh dang lovely little story. She's got very, very cute dancing animations. Her path action is she can dance and allure people so that would be with her dance because they just want to watch her move, right? Um, but as she goes through the path of stardom, she realizes that being a celebrity isn't all it's, it's cracked up to be. And she starts to see what happens to those who really hit it big, right? And they start to get get drunk with power, even, or fame. So even though her story is quite lighthearted in comparison to something like Oswald or Throne, uh, it still tackles those themes of what is just, what is right, I am going to do my best to enact justice in the world and fight injustice wherever I find it. So, again, very different stories, very different types of storylines, but still cohesive because of the themes present throughout them. So there you wow. go. That's that's I, four I characters love... there. Uh, there's still four more I haven't even gotten into. Yeah. <laughs> so but that's a taste of it I'm, for you. I'm, uh, I think it's worth mentioning that this game does have a demo mm-hmm. on the Switch. Yes. Um, and something that Square Enix has been really good about lately is they'll provide a demo for their games. Octopath Traveler, um, Live Alive, uh, Octopath Traveler 2. And you can play... It's, a good, it's like a good three, four-hour demo. And yeah. I believe your save data will carry forward if you decide to purchase the full game. Is, do you know if that applies in this case, Cam? Yep, absolutely. Uh, I started out the game awesome. with with the demo, um, and it goes to oh, nice. exa- it goes exactly three hours, and then it stops you there, and then your save your save file can transfer over uh, to the main. I game. love that. One thing That's I should so smart. One thing I should specify to anybody who plays a demo, which by all means do play it. It's it's great, a great taste of the game. You basically get access to the full opening of the game and you get to select whichever character you want to start with, but be careful with who you want to start because the first character you select, much like the original game, is going to be your main character throughout the story and you cannot remove that main character from your party. So there are no bad characters, but just, you know, read the characters' stories and see what their gameplay is like before you decide just to make sure that, um, you know, you end up stuck with the right main character that you want to have in your party the whole time. Right. So they, they, they still have that, the protagonist system? Mm-hmm. That they do, yeah. So I started the demo with Hikari, who is the warrior character, and he's my uh, main character now. Which I should nice. add, honestly, you know, his his story isn't my favorite. It very much falls into the same genre of, you know, a once great warrior disgraced after his kingdom was overthrown. And now he must, you know, uh, rally his friends and allies and take back the kingdom from the tyrannical ruler who usurped him, all that kind of stuff. Which, you know, isn't isn't the most original plot line out there. But his mechanics, though, his <laughs> gameplay... He is goaded, man. He is a tank. <laughs> so, like, his story awesome. is whatever, but he can obliterate basically any enemy that's weak to physical attacks. Um, just to give you an idea of this, there are, uh, you can equip uh, support skills. 
uh, for your characters, which are basically like passive skills, like you get uh, 500 extra HP, or you deal more damage on physical attacks, things of that sort. One of his support skills is you can deal damage in excess of 9,999 points with a maximum of 99,999 points per attack. And I saw that Damn move, and right. I was like, man, I, I don't really need to worry about that. That's something only in, like, the very late game where you're fighting super bosses and stuff like that. Ah, you need that right away, because Hikari is a tank, and if you boost up all his moves, you use the right, you know, min-max buffs and debuffs on him, he can obliterate enemies, crush them, deal tens of thousands of points of damage, even in, like, relatively early in the game. <laughs> so he is a pretty good choice to have in your party from early on. Wow, that is uh, yeah, good to know. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a lot. A little pro tip for you, of course. <laughs> listen, we're all about the pro tips here. Uh, yeah, welcome to the Unexpressed Nintendo Podcast, where we offer pro <laughs> tips. Uh, yes, of course. Always listen. This is why you got to listen, because otherwise, where are you going to get your pro tips? Mm -hmm. um, right, right, right. So, I'm, I'm curious, like... This game sounds incredible. Everything I've heard about Octopath Traveler 2 is like, wow, it sounds as though I would love this game. Uh, you but would. part of me is still a little bit like, okay, all right, well. So, yeah, so there you go. Um, anyway, but go on with your concern, though. <laughs> no, um, so, I mean, not even a concern, but, like, the, the thing you've, you've mentioned that there's, like, for example, you just talk, we're talking about Hakari and the sort of the tropes of that character. Mm -hmm. um, this is... I mean, I'm framing it weirdly, but, like, maybe not a concern, but how do you think that Octopath Traveler 2, like, again, based on the limited information I have about this game, is that it's not, it's like, it's, like, knowingly tropey, mm -hmm. right? Am I, am I like, incorrectly framing this? Oh, yeah, it's totally, totally playing with tropes of the genre, which is the original Octopath's whole thing. The point of this franchise mm -hmm. is that it's calling back to the classic RPGs of, you know, the Super Nintendo, the PlayStation, things like that. So they're definitely like a little um, on the nose about calling back to genre stereotypes, the disgraced warrior, the idealistic uh, dancer, things of that sort, the thief with a heart of gold. It really calls back to those tropes, but it, it, it takes good advantage of those ideas, right? It's not just playing these stories out beat for beat like they've been told in so many other RPGs of the past 30 years. Instead, it's taking these well-known, well-used uh, archetypes of stories and telling them extremely well, right? So Hikari's story, I know mm -hmm. I said that it's not my favorite story, but his story is told beautifully especially like i'm on his final chapter right now and it is building up to such an emotional crescendo and it's it's amazing the way that they take these these plots right these elements you've seen so many times before but they tell them so well make you care about these characters like i mentioned agnia her story is so light and airy and fun but at the same time her idealism is infectious and it contrasts her idealism with a lot of the the seedier sides of life right she's this little country girl going out into the world trying to make it big she goes to this big city and you know she goes to an performance of a superstar she gets amazed then she meets the owner of like a dilapidated rundown bar and she hits a, she hits it off with him she starts to perform at that bar and immediately like it starts to get popular again people start to come over but then 
things things go horribly wrong, right? Some something happens, right? I, I shouldn't mention what exactly, but she realizes how harsh reality is. She realizes the life that a lot of these people have to deal with. You know, it's not all sunshine rainbows. I'm gonna dance around and sing. Instead, it is it's. I mean, to go back to Partitio's story, capitalism exists in this game, and everybody, it's everybody's enemy here, you know? You can't just dance yeah. around when you got to pay the bills, so you can't Listen, always we, just we, go we to a bar. All, yeah? We all must achieve praxis, that's what we're mm -hmm, trying to do here. Mm -hmm. So it really um, plays on those elements of oppression of forces, whether they be business magnates, overbearing, you know, tyrants, things of that sort. It plays on those ideas, compares them to these archetypes going out with uh, the individual heroes and it makes these stories that are emotional engaging you care about each individual traveler i was trying to before this discussion rank which characters are my favorite in this game and it's so hard to pick mm -hmm. one of them because each story has something unique to it something special about it whether it be hikari's fight for justice fight for liberation partitio's relentless crusade against you know capitalism right and crusade against anybody who's oppressing and putting into poverty those around them or if it's throne's fight for liberation and figuring out what is freedom every story is engaging in its own way so that's a long-winded way of going back to say yeah it is cliched but they're told super super well well that's the thing i i think there's like i don't know they're, they're tropes for a reason right but right but yeah. oftentimes if you if you can I don't know if it's delivered in like an earnest and effective way. I mm -hmm. don't think I have any issue with a trope. You know what I mean? Like I, like I don't know. Some of my favorite stories. Like listen, I love The Last of Us, right? And mm -hmm. it's like it's a zombie story. It's pretty right. pretty, paid by numbers to be quite honest. Like I I I love, but I but. I think what makes it great is that I wouldn't it's... say zombie story. <laughs> well, it's a oh story with zombies in it, though, right? It's like, a what okay, else are you looking for? It's an story. Uh, technically, it's an yeah. apocalypse story. Well, no, no, no. Okay. I wasn't even going to say that. I was going to say survival story. But, you know. Fair different, enough. But survival like, with zombies, though, right? Like... <laughs> but the point is, the, the, what I'm trying to say is, it's engaging in tropes, right? Like right. you've you've got like the 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 guy who's conflicted about the man he has become, and like mm -hmm. can he learn to care about humanity again? Like they're tropes, right? But they're presented mm -hmm. in such a way and they're performed in such a way that you care about them. Like right. I, I, at least for me, like for my yeah. money, I think the Last of Us is is, is very well told. So yeah. I think there's something to be said about even if it's a trope. Like if the game is is fully embracing that, I think there's something to be said about that. Absolutely. Which which leads me to my next question for you, Campbell. Yes, sir. I I think Octopath Traveler One has a lot of strengths. I mm -hmm. think the voiceover performances are not one of them. How oh, are they in Octopath Traveler hey, Two? I love the voice acting in the original Octopath. It is so over the top a lot of the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. Just <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Kill me. Kill me. <laughs> my blade is no, unbending, I, Cameron. Come on. My blade is unbending. Like no, no, I, I can't. It's um, great, but no. The... Listen, I, I yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the voice. I will say the voice acting in Octopath Two isn't quite as corny as the original was, and not quite as repetitive great. either. And great, great, great. that leads me to I think probably the most important point that I can make about Octopath 2, which is the character interactions. They acknowledge each yes, other's existence please. in this game, Cameron. Hikari, Hikari starts his turn after Partitio hits an enemy, and he says, well struck, Partitio. 
Like he acknowledges that okay. Particia was in the party. You have, if you're going by any other RPG, that sounds like yeah, of course, of course he's gonna say that. But Octopath <laughs> One was so unnervingly segmented between all the characters, where nobody acknowledged that the other party members existed, right? But now they actually talk to each other in battle. If a character's hurt, you know the next character will start their turn and be like, Oswald, watch out. Or if Oswald, you know, breaks another enemy, or say if. Uh, uh, Particio, who is also, you know, Hikari's goaded, but Particio is also goaded because he has the ability to donate boost points to other characters. Again, we'll get into the combat system. Uh, but if he does that for another character, you know, they'll literally say, thanks, Particio, or wow, I'm strong. Thank you, Particio, things of that sort. And so it's because of all of those little interactions in battle that do make the battle dialogue a lot less repetitive, too, because it varies depending on whoever's in your party, and they have, what seems to me at least, a wider variety of lines as opposed to, I'm ready, it's my turn, which was always my favorite line, too. It's my turn now. Of course it is. This is a turn-based RPG. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Which, Agnea does say that, too, all the time, which I think that's oh, sure. hilarious, right? So it's my turn now. It's like, yeah, thank you for breaking the fourth wall there. I'm well aware of that, Agnea. But all that being said, it's less repetitive, and then each character, they they the actors for each main character deliver their lines with such sincerity and really lean into who they are, right? I already mentioned Particio, his voice is great. His voice actor is hamming it up constantly, throwing in all sorts of cowboy slang in there, talking like when I was a chickadee, back when back out in the West, we talked about X, Y, and Z, and all that like kind of stuff. Full on, He's full on Matthew McConaughey. Exactly. He is Matthew McConaughey. Whenever he starts his turn, I half expect him to be like, alright, alright, alright. But, um, in addition to that, then even the villains, too, I love a lot of the villains' voice lines as well because they, some of them just lean into the sheer oppressive evilness of them, for lack of a better term. Some of these villains are just absurdly evil, especially Hikari's uh, antagonist being uh, his half brother, General Mugen, uh, who just sounds, his voice is oh, all gravelly and deep. Can I tell you? Campbell, I love a story about brothers. Mm -hmm. Just, mm, yum, yeah, that's, delicious. I'm, that's, I'm here for it. That's what I'm saying about Hikari's story, where it's so stereotypical, but there's things like that. The whole brother dynamic of Mugen being the brother who um, basically dethrones Hikari, kills her father, takes over the kingdom, and he's like, I'm going to destroy that half-blood runt, and all that stuff. I'm like, yes, wow. give it to me. <laughs> so the, the, the voice acting really leans into it. Oh, also another favorite uh, character being Agnea. Like I said, her story's her story's just so light and silly and fun. She's also got where her story she comes from this little backwaters town. She has uh her normal speaking voice is she's like this little country girl, got a little light drawl to her voice, but then when she goes out to town, she intentionally starts trying to speak more refined too, which I think that's a fun touch to it as well that that's a well it, it just shows that they the uh what is it team asano mm -hmm. yeah team asano 
it just shows that Timus, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds as though Timus Sano has made an effort to address some criticisms of the first Octopath Traveler mm -hmm. with this sequel. That they which most is, like, have. incredible. <laughs> right? Because, like, like I said at the start, like, the original game was so good, but there were a few things just holding it back from greatness, right? The, the stories being sure. so disconnected, the structure being so weird and repetitive, right? Um, but now... Not only is the structure a lot more varied, the characters interact more, and we haven't even gone into the crossed paths stories, which are little side quests, side quests between two party members. So they not only talk to each other in battle or during their main stories, but they have their own little side adventures as well, where... Um, for example, Hikari and Agnia go on a little adventure following a minstrel out in the desert, and they learn the power of music, right? Or you have um, uh, Casti and the hunter Ochet going on a quest to... Uh, you know, hunt around because Ochet is a hunter character. They go on a hunt together, but in the meantime, Ochet is an apothecary. So her whole thing is healing characters, healing animals. So then they have a little conflict going on there. You have these little side stories where characters actually interact and you see how they talk to each other, how they relate to each other. Again, for a normal RPG, this would just be <laughs> run-of-the-mill standard stuff. But this wasn't in the original Octopath. But now that we have it in the sequel, it goes so far towards making the party feel more interconnected again i gotta stress these are eight completely standalone stories they're their own independent each character going on their own adventure but now instead of it being this weird disconnected void where each character exists in their own little world without acknowledging others it's more like these are a bunch of travelers going on a road trip together and they're stopping around on this adventure around the world to go on each individual journey like all right casty you got something to do in Clockbank. we'll start we'll stop there casty does her chapter then you move on to another big city then you do hikari's chapter so on and so forth it really nails that feeling of interconnectedness between the party which just makes the whole experience feel so so much more solid so much more seamless for sure that's such a tremendous difference from the first day game right? that it really makes me excited to uh, to eventually play this game so i, I have two questions for you campbell mm -hmm. um uh just because I know, because uh, listen, between the three of us, you are the expert on the Square Enix, uh, you know, Octopath Traveler HD 2D saga. <laughs> yes, um, of course. How does this game compare? Having just played Live Alive over the summer, oh my gosh! Um, like, what's it like? Because Live Alive is in many ways a a precursor to the Octopath Traveler series. So, mm -hmm. like, what is it like play, playing? The mm, sequel to mm -hmm. Octopath Traveler 2, which was itself a spiritual successor to Live Alive. To Live Alive, right, yeah. That's a great question because you really see how this idea of an RPG that consists of completely separate stories, uh, how that matures over time, right? Because Live Alive, mm -hmm. that story, I back when we talked about it last summer, I, I remember I made the point that Live Alive's story was handled better than the original Octopath because, at the very least, Live Alive made no pretense 
senses to its seven unique stories being connected in any way until the very end, right? Whereas Octopath was in that weird limbo that I've talked about where the characters, you know, they were going on this journey together, but they weren't talking to each other. You know, Live Alive had a more consistent narrative approach, I'd say. Uh, Octopath 1 was a little more all over the place. But now, going to Octopath 2, I can really see that it's adhering a bit more closely to the Live Alive structure, where, yes, the characters acknowledge each other, they're all going on a, an adventure together it doesn't make any pretenses to the stories being connected in any way until the very end of each chapter where you start to learn a bit more about something that is uniting the rest of, of these narratives um I think that Octopath 2 takes that idea that was introduced way back in the mid-90s with Live Alive and refines it and expands it because what you had with Live Alive, the biggest issue with it was that you had the problem of starting seven uh, RPG stories back to back to back. And if you've ever played a turn-based RPG, you know that the opening hours are like the 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 hardest drag of the entire experience the pacing is so slow you're learning the mechanics you're getting introduced to the world in live alive you had to do that seven times so playing those stories back to back to back was really like it, it was hard right i loved that game but i really did not like the experience of finishing one character's story then moving on to the next one Octopath avoids that issue by having its stories go in tandem to each other. So instead of it being one at a time, like Live Alive, each character's story uh, goes alongside the other. You can do them in any order. You can start one character's chapter, stop it in the middle, then go to another area, do another character's chapter. It gives you that freedom um, to bounce around between the stories that you're interested in and it really makes the experience a little less repetitive than what you had with live alive and and likewise live alive did the stories did unite towards the end but uh that in itself was questionable in my view at least the way that they united it it was clever but from a gameplay perspective it was really disjointed from the rest of the experience whereas with octopath uh, it's a lot more nuanced in the ways that the stories eventually the stories and the world i should say uh do do work together right so you really it's really great because you get to see how this idea has matured over time and to me at least octopath 2 is the best expression of a decentralized rpg story yet at least going in the square enix live alive tradition i'd say that was very succinctly said campbell nicely done uh <laughs> mark do you have any questions for campbell before i hit him with the with i would in, in my opinion is a banger question uh i do not because this okay, isn't man. one of those games for me <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it all sounds enough. very good. I, I'm good, you know. I am happy to hear about all the improvements, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially, I love party interactivity between the characters. That's yeah. something that I really loved in, like, Xenoblade Chronicles. And mm, right. I feel like it really adds to the party itself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean... So, Mark, I'm just, I'm just curious, Mark, because I, I know you've been very patient with, uh, with us for the last 40 minutes. <laughs> um, uh, why do you think this game is not for you? I, I just know it's not every for, first of all these types of RPGs like the classic Final Fantasy style approach like 
I feel like sure. I'm really bad at just sitting through them. Like they're not, they're, you know, mm. they're not bad games or anything. I just personally like. I feel like they need like something to really grab me, like how a lot of action sure. RPGs have, and how something like the Mario and Luigi series, where there's like constant interactivity between the enemy and personal turns and stuff like that. So for something like this, I feel like it's more, um, it's less for me. Like I'm open to still playing them, of course, if they have like really great stories and stuff like that. Sure, but, sure. Um, right. I I'd be willing to try this one, but I'm just like. You know. Listen, the demo is free. I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying. I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, Mark. That's true. I, that's I'll, true. Enc- I'll encourage you to play the demo because, at the very least, Mark, you play triangle strategy. I mean, <laughs> yes, we, and, and that and was to be clear. Um, Mark, Mark well, was not very we high. On yeah, I'm saying right? you, you weren't very high on it, but you still played <laughs> yeah. it. And if you can endure did, as much yeah. as you did of triangle strategy, like Octopath is to me at least leagues ahead of that in terms of the stories being engaging, the combat, the individual chapters being so much better paced and all. Um, it's really an improvement mm-hmm. over other efforts I'd say have been made in these this kind of pseudo HD two D. Uh, series that square mm-hmm. enix has going on or i'll just wait for dragon quest i mean which i know is going to be a let's, banger yeah let's be honest oh we're God. all waiting for dragon quest I 3 HD. cannot wait for dragon quest 3 that was my favorite game as a kid was dragon warrior 3 on oh, the game hell by yeah. and uh i can't even think about it um all right campbell my question for you somehow right. we have avoided this entire conversation talking about the music oh my god um yasunori nishiki Returning to compose this game, what do you think about the music, the score of Octopath Traveler 2? You know, there's that. There's a gif that I see going around on Twitter all the time where it's, uh, you know, live live image of composer working on music for this film or this game or whatever. And it's a guy playing piano that's bursting into flame. Like, that is Yasunori Nishiki <laughs> the entire time. He's pl- composing this yes. soundtrack because every single tune, every single track is a masterpiece in its own way, whether it's the overworld themes, the battle themes, the battle themes are amazing, the boss battle themes, the individual main character tracks. You know, the original Octopath had a wonderful, amazing soundtrack, right? It was majestic, orchestral, yet intense and driven by like elements of like rock and jazz where it needed to be. Octopath 2 does all of that, but it's so much more ambitious than what we had before, not only because of just the sheer amount of music in this game and how beautiful the tunes are, but how it complements the game world itself. Because here we're going to start getting into some of the other mechanics that have been introduced in Octopath 2, namely the day-night system. With the click of a shoulder button, you can transition the world at any time from day to night. And that impacts, you know, what you see in a town, for example, which NPCs are out and about. If it's, uh, if you're out in the overworld and you transition from day to night, then suddenly you'll have a lot more random encounters. Battles will be more difficult. Higher level enemies will appear. But at the same time, there every single overworld track has a day and night version, which seamlessly transition into each other whenever you transition from day to night, like without skipping a beat, right? So if you're in a town and it's an upbeat, like medieval sounding, you know, lute lute and horns dancing around during the day, and then you transition to night, 
without missing a beat, it transitions to these little, you know, pan flutes and tinkling harpsichords that's a lot quieter and more sedated sounding. Every single area in the world has a day and night track, which sound completely, we have the same melody, but have completely different vibes to each other. And similarly too, every character has their own main theme, which might not sound too impressive in itself, like of course the characters have their own signature theme tunes, but these themes are so distinct from one another and perfectly complement the stories that they're telling. So to go back to our anti-capitalist hero Particio, his main theme is a mixture of like an electric guitar rhythm with saxophone melody going on top of that. Like it's funky, it's upbeat, it's you know like hopeful and almost inspiring sound. It's like, man, I want to run around and buy, you know, buy some healing herbs from random strangers now while I listen to this music. Whereas Throne, her dark story surrounding the big questions of what is freedom, what if, you know, who should I kill, what's going on? Um, her theme is a string quartet, a very like sedated, dark sounding, brooding melody that plays at the end of each one of her chapters as she's contemplating the next path to take perfectly complements the seriousness of of her narrative and on top of all that before you fight a boss of each character's chapter every single character has a unique boss buildup. I just gotta call it a hype track that's unique to each character. <laughs> like, you, like Cameron, you know this. This is this. They had the same thing in Octopath 1, uh, and they're doing that again, too, where Throne has her own specific melody that's building up, right, as she's talking to the boss and be like, yeah, I'm gonna take you down, and then that melody transitions immediately into the standard boss theme. Every single character has one of those, and it goes a long way toward making each character's story feel more personalized to them and it complements the ideas the feelings that you want to have for each narrative going into the fight it hypes you up and it makes the battles feel that much more personal because it's like hey this isn't just another boss battle this is throne a's battle she's getting it down with father right now this is a serious encounter you know um so and that's not even mentioning the boss battle themes which are in my my top 10 list of rpg battle themes of all time right like we were talking a few weeks wow. ago about theater final fantasy final bar line theater rhythm whatever you want to call that game right <laughs> we we're talking about theater rhythm and how it had some great final fantasy boss themes in it the boss themes in final fantasy they're great they're legendary octopath 2 is right up there with them in terms of all-time great battle themes like it's just so get you so pumped right um it's just it, it's amazing i could go on and on about the soundtrack and that's not to mention that oh even man i just keep thinking about so many different things to say about the soundtrack man but the best thing to me is the battle themes which are so focused on hyping up the battle making it feel as intense as possible so many of them feature choirs and what i would call probably the world's angriest violinist as well just absolutely shredding it <laughs> with violin solos <laughs> Like, in particular, yes. my favorite one is how there are super bosses out in the world, right, that you can encounter, and, like, it'll give you this little, whoops, you're wandering around, and you go up into an area where a super boss is, and you'll get this little pop-up that says, you, you, you feel a sense of overbearing danger ahead. Are you sure you want to proceed? And if you click yes, then, like, the boss appears, and, like, the choir manifests out of nowhere. Uh, the violinist just starts absolutely shredding it. It's go, it goes insanely intense, right? 
right? But it just makes every battle feel so much more meaningful. Even the random encounters uh, have amazing themes to them as well, uh, with both, you know, angry violinists and passion flautists, you know? Like, there's just so much... So much stuff to love with with the soundtrack here, and honestly, my main my main hope is that Square Enix will just upload this soundtrack to like Spotify or YouTube or something at some point. Because the only way to listen to this soundtrack right now is to pay fifty bucks to get it from the Square Enix store. Which like, I love it, but come on, guys, yeah, you, know, <laughs> you can do better than this. Wow. Nobody's nobody's buying CDs anymore, right? Just let me download this <laughs> or listen or stream it. So. Hey, my my car still has a CD player. Okay, let's let's not uh, <laughs> let's, let's not talk crap about CDs just yet. Mm, I'm, I'm saying, man, I'm, I'm the stream I'm the streaming generation, Cameron. I'm just saying. Oh man, it's it's like, listen, I I won't buy physical video games, but I will still buy a CD. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, that's really funny. Um, Gosh, I gotta play this game one of these days. Um, mm -hmm. Let me just find find a spare eighty hours and uh, look around to it. <laughs> yeah, for full disclosure, um, I am a forty six or forty nine hours into the game now, and I am only just now uh, facing Hikari's final chapter, uh, and he's just the only character who I've uh, gotten to the final chapter with. So I still got seven more characters to complete here. So this is a wow. very it's... large game. It is a big and there's probably and of course if, if it if it sticks to the uh, the structure of the first game there's probably like a final you know a final final chapter yes. that has like a secret boss or something there is know? a fine there is a final chapter I, I know that for certain and i can't wait to see how that is nice can you imagine beating this game um, and then saying i'm gonna do it all over again yeah i really could honestly <laughs> back to back People do that yeah i yeah. can i can imagine yeah. that because there are so many instances where and now we're gonna get a little bit more into the combat system where i'm like man this battle could have gone so much better had i known this boss's weakness right or man if i had chosen um particio as my main character instead of hikari all of these encounters would have gone so much more differently because the combat system is so much about exploiting the enemy's weaknesses and boosting the moves that you want to affect them um i can totally see myself restarting this to be like hey now that i've completed this i know all the little secrets right i know the best ways to go about about this world so i could i i could see that i'm not saying i will i probably won't because this is a large amount of my life i'm spending on one game already but i love this <laughs> game so much i could see myself doing it at some point for sure i love that um we should probably we should probably call it there. It's been forty. It's oof, almost been, an hour. It's been fifty one minutes, and I haven't even talked about the combat system, y'all, or the the path I action, the side quests. <laughs> like I mean, it's so funny. Honestly, like just to get in real quick, because I I think we we need to talk about this. It's the combat system. It's the same as the original game. The boost and break system. You exploit an enemy's weakness. You hit the, hit their weakness. Their shield points go down. Once you break the, you get all their shield points down. They're broken. Every time you make a move, you get a boost point. Uh, you can use those boost points to power up your moves. So if you use three boost points on an attack, you'll attack four times. Or if you use two boost points on a spell, that boost point that spell will be three times as powerful. Things like that. Um, the only element they've added that's new is a latent power that every character has, which builds up as a deal as they take or receive or deal damage. 
uh, each character's latent power is completely different where it's like Hikari his latent power is he gets access to three super moves um, which are really powerful sword or spear attacks which are his main weapons whereas Casty, who is the apothecary her latent power is she's able to brew any sort of potion or herb or power up or anything like that without actually using any items or consuming any items you know so these um uh latent powers go very nicely with the original mechanics that were in place to add another layer of complexity to the combat system without ever making it feel too complicated or convoluted, right? That was my favorite thing about the original game's combat system, that it was so easy to break, that there were so many ways you could go about each encounter by being like, okay, you've got to think five moves ahead where you see these characters, you can see these enemies, I know that uh, this guy's weak to spears, this character's weak to lightning, I've got Oswald in my party. He's got a lightning spell that affects everybody. I can use Oswald, boost up Hikari's spear so he can take down the two spear shield points that this enemy who's weak to spears has. And then now when you factor the latent power into that, it's like, hey, once I receive this much damage, I know I'll have this latent power. So when I break this enemy, I can use a super move or I can use these, you know, Cassie's uh, apothecary uh, things that she brews to power up my party, all that kind of stuff. It, it's both really complicated, but easy to immediately grasp. And that's another thing that just makes Octopath 2 so brilliant. It builds onto what made the original game so great. I know we're supposed to wrap up, but I just wanted to make sure we got that in there. <laughs> that's fair. Listen, I, it's true. I, I, I suppose we would have been doing this game a disservice if we didn't at least mention what's great about the combat system. Yeah, I mean, this is an um, RPG. I've been spending, like, a good half of this entire game is just in in battle you know <laughs> so we gotta yeah, talk about that a little true. bit okay um, I'm done. yeah it, yeah you're right it would be it would be hard not to talk about it um i love it um let's let's call it there for now i imagine campbell you're gonna have a lot of writing about this game uh as you kind of wrap it up <laughs> yes when i've already taken like three pages of notes just about like the combat system and about the side quests uh which you know didn't get to talk about that, but read my review at some point. We'll talk about those side quests. Um, eventually, I will have a written review up whenever I finish this game, which who knows when that's going to happen. It seems like it just never ends, and I frankly don't want it to. But yeah, stay tuned. That's fine. Stay yeah. tuned for an in-depth review. I am on board for that. So yeah, stay tuned for Campbell's 10,000-word review of Octopath Traveler 2. <laughs> um, at least, yes. It is sure to be great. Um, yeah, at, at the bare minimum. Let's take another short break. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap this up with uh, some spooky times. So stay tuned, and we'll <laughs> return in a minute.
we're recording now? Okay, excellent. Um, okay, we are we are back. Uh, Mark. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Mark, uh, let's provide a little context here. Uh, last weekend, Mark. I didn't experience. Said, hey, mm-hmm. Mark had a he had a full experience. Well, because what happened was I, I reviewed the last Fatal Frame game that came out. Um, uh, Fatal Frame: Maiden of Black Water, which I reviewed. Uh, oh boy, probably about a last year, year ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometime last year. Um, it was enjoyable. It was a little scary, but I but I did enjoy playing it. So Mark reached out to me last week and being like, "Hey, we just got the code for the new Fatal Frame game. Can you review it?" I was unfortunately unable to. So as the games editor, Mark took it upon himself to review <laughs> the latest Fatal Frame game for Switch. He fell on that sword. Uh, Mark, Fatal what was your mistake. experience like? <laughs> I wanted talk to fucking it, shit myself. <laughs> This is <laughs> Mark. How are you going to frame like this conversation? Scary. Is how I'm. It's, Please take. Yeah, go for it. Oh my god! Listen, you guys know my skill. Polter pup Luigi's Mansion. Scary enough. That's as high as it goes. <laughs> this was like. This is a fucking nightmare. This is literally like yeah. nightmare fuel. And people are saying this is the least scary one. And oh. I was like, oh my god! <laughs> like it's it's terrifying. So, for Fatal Frame Mask of the Lunar Eclipse, it's a prequel to the entire Fatal Frame series that never came to America. It almost did in 2009. It it was in the middle of being localized, and then it got cancelled. And this one was created by Suda51, a grasshopper manufacturer who did... um, Wow. No More Heroes and Killer7. And you could see, like, the influence from those two games is certainly here. Especially Killer7, because I was back on GameCube. But this was basically to bring Fatal Frame into the next generation of consoles. And I don't really, like, know the entire story behind it. But I'm guessing this one didn't take off. And over the years, it's kind of gotten, like, a mixed reception from fans. Where people are like, it's a bit too linear. And it changed the formula too much. And because of what they're doing with the camera work, it's not as scary. And I, you know, I, I think here's the thing with this game. The character models are terrifying. They are sure. like, they will scare you. They're like so creepy and they get that tone so yeah. right. They absolutely nail it. But this is definitely one of those games that came at a time where they're trying to transition into a new phase of doing like that third person uh, perspective of sorts rather than the locked camera angles and being able to mess with the player in certain ways. So it's like, you know, when the jump scare is coming, you know, when a ghost is going to pop out it like that's the, Mm -hmm. the bad part about it from a horror perspective. It gets that wrong. And also the gameplay, because it was its first attempt at being like that third person over the shoulder type gameplay it's like it tries to be like extremely slow and it's just like it's a product of its time but it's not a bad game it's still a good game by all means i think that if you're into horror i think it's going to be an enjoyable experience it just it shows its age and it's a shame um koya tecmo didn't go back and kind of fix it up a bit because they basically Mm. gave this game a whole glow up and it looks phenomenal especially for a switch game it just looks fantastic graphically the the whole atmosphere of rugetsu island and everything going on and the fuzziness to it and just the gothic horror vibes just like everything to it is so good and so well done but then it's like the gameplay just kind of holds the whole game back and it's just, again, it's a product of its time. It's something that you have to go into it saying, this was a 2006 Wii game. 
you know, it was a, a Fatal Frame's first jump into a new generation. It was trying something new. It doesn't get everything right, but it's still an enjoyable experience. And in the game, it does offer stuff that the the successor uh, made in a Blackwater for the Wii U that game didn't have, which is you get to play as three characters in this game, or rather four, because there's also one during the prologue. And one of the characters has like a flashlight and so they kind of break the game up into when you're playing as the two teenage girls it's more of this slow pace methodical slowly going through like these creepy hallways and stuff but then when you get to play as the detective character you take up the flashlight and you're kind of rapidly just rapid fire killing tons of ghosts so the game is kind of divided into these two different types of gameplay styles and i think both work well except they obviously they have their faults from the time period especially it's just the way the game controls and stuff it's just like it's not a great transition because the original you would hold the wii remote like a flashlight and then you would use the nunchuck to move around and that's why the characters because most people were you know are right-handed so they hold it in their right hand the flashlight so the idea with the wii game is you would literally move around your flashlight which is a genius idea but for this game they obviously they have to use the button controls so just the way they mapped it and everything they kind of they kind of messed it up it's just like it doesn't feel right but it's also the gameplay is so slow at times that it's like this wouldn't feel right with buttons either way so that's the biggest flaw to this game but overall the story is really immersive it's it has a really great mystery behind it i don't even really want to talk about the plot because i feel like it's something where you just really have to go in blind to it but basically it's about these girls who there were five girls and 10 years before the start of the game they were all kidnapped in this mysterious event and a detective saved them and brought them all home and then 10 years later two of them wind up dead and the other three end up going back to their home island to try and solve the mystery of how their demise happened and they meet up with this other detective character who is trying to help them in this mystery and it's all it's really engaging it's really good the psychology of the characters is just interesting so it gets all that right and the character designs are great but the gameplay is just it's not good <laughs> it's fatal frame except very very slow you take pictures with your camera you you know vaporize spirits you get your points you go to like your checkpoints and then you can like buy the upgrades for the camera and stuff but you just have to you have to look at it and once you look at it you'll be like oh man like this looks very slow and it is mm -hmm. well it's interesting because a lot of uh third person horror games that's you know it's deliberate they are you know, they tend to be pretty slow. You look at your Silent Hill. But this one's, like, else. laughable slow. Sure. This one's, like... Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. It's, the characters move at a glacier pace. Oh, sure, sure, sure. It's interesting. When I was playing... Um, I mean, it's been a little while now since I played it, but when I was playing Made into Blackwater, I, I never thought... It didn't feel slow. Um, so it's interesting that they kind of feels like they may have gone backwards with this... Uh, this kind of re-release of an older game that's kind of interesting or i would say they went forwards because this was you know the basically this game is like a proto you know made in a black water all of the ideas that you know went into this game went into refining them in black water so it's kind of you know mask of the lunar eclipse walked so black water could run that's the best way to put it
Interesting. All right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I have to ask, um, did you... Are there outfits to unlock? Because so much yes. of the Fatal Frame experience <laughs> is like, what stupid outfits so, can I put my main characters in? Yes. I talked about this in the review. It was, first of all, Koi Tecmo, if anyone's listening, I find it really odd that you give us for the press release a full breakdown of like all the costumes, but that's like all the screenshots so they funny. gave us. It's so odd, yeah, listen, but it's like, it's, it's so funny it's, looking at the it, different yeah, screenshots. It's hilarious. Yeah. It is hilarious how much of it, like, like, I don't know. Like, clearly that's just a, a core part of the experience, at least in Koei Tech. Of course, eyes, yeah. It's extremely, it's extremely funny. Wasn't there, like, a Zero Suit Samus outfit in there, one of the Yes, things? made in a Blackwater. Made in a yes. Blackwater. And the original, um, in this game, Mask of the Lunar Eclipse, back on Wii, it had a bunch of costumes, but since this game went multi-platform, they took out all the Nintendo ones. So, oh. in the original, you could play as Luigi and Samus. You could watch costumes of them. Luigi? Yeah, there was a Luigi costume. So, wait, <laughs> yeah. you're this, like, Japanese schoolgirl just as Luigi, basically. Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. Yeah, Campbell, what's the problem? What do... Think of all we <laughs> lost with this version of the game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this version has, like, different costumes inspired by, like, horror classics and stuff that's really all i could say about it they're like i don't want to say they're generic dresses and stuff like that but they do have like stylish options and then you have like your modern like there's like a ridiculous swimsuit and like stuff like that course, you have yeah. like your ridiculous and then super like maybe that should have been like the main costume in the game like those are awesome and those are just downright silly so it does bounce between the two the other good thing this thing has is a, a photo mode and I have a screenshot from it in the uh, review, but it's like, it's super stylish how much went into it. And there's like different filters and stuff. It's like your standard photo mode, but I think for this game, it's kind of fun messing with it, especially how much you can do with it. So it's a nice bonus, but overall it's, I don't know if this is a game I can like fully recommend. This is like one of those experiences mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm fucking never doing this again. This is like <laughs> this is too much for me. I I'm not into the horror genre. I sure. yeah, I'm not doing this again. But yeah, it was it's a good Camp, game. Yeah. It's you know Mark is not re Mark is not reviewing Resident Evil 4 remake. <laughs> no. No, I am not. That's so funny. Um interesting. Well, yeah, I think I think that that about lines up with with uh, my expectations, I think um, mm. a little bit disappointing. It sounds like, but uh, but I think it yeah, sounds it's not like a bad. For, it's a product of who, its time. Yeah, there you go. So 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 for people who like you know really want to play this Western release, they finally have the chance to. But for those who maybe want something a little more polished, they can probably skip this one. Mm -hmm. it, it, That's it, it, yeah. It sounds that like sums it. up my review. Yeah, nice. Um, fair enough. Well, any other. Uh, any other thoughts on Fatal Frame, Mask of the Lunar Eclipse, before we call it for the evening? Uh, if you're a Fatal Frame fan, you know what you're getting into. You're probably really going to like it. You're probably glad that it's finally in the U.S. Um, if you're not and you want to get into the franchise, I would say probably go play Maiden of Blackwater. That's my gut instinct. Sure. I think that's that's probably a fair assessment, and, and I think it is it is worth saying that like the fact that Koei Tecmo is reviving this this uh, series is very cool. Like even even if the game is you know maybe not quite up to like modern expectations, the fact that they were like you know what's great Fatal Frame is like kind of great for for a lot of fans. You know it's it's uh 
it's a it's a series that a lot of people have a, a deep abiding love for and and the fact that you know Silent Hill is getting this big revival and Resident Evil is getting all these remakes it's like you know what good for Fatal Frame that they are also getting in there with these re-releases you know I think that's uh kind of nice mm-hmm. for for people who like that series um, so I guess we'll call it there. Uh, I've been your host, Cameron Daxon. You can find some of my writing over on Goombastomp.com. I've been reviewing some games for the PlayStation VR 2, including Tentacular, which is a Devolver Digital published uh, physics game. And by the time you are... Uh-oh. By the time you are hearing this, uh, you will probably see a review on Goombastomp for Before Your Eyes, a deeply emotional... Um, uh, virtual reality experience, which I which I very much enjoyed. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter. I'm at Action Daxon. Mark, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at the Mark Haldet. Of course, the Mark with the C, Cal with the K. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, over on Goombastomp.com, you can read my review for Fatal Frame, Mask of the Lunar Eclipse. Uh, I also have a piece on the Splatoon DLC if you're interested more in that in case... Um, there's not really much more to it, but yeah, I have a review for that, and uh, I'll have more stuff up, I think, this week. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, so maybe there will be more stuff up. Uh, we will keep an eye out for that. Uh, Campbell, what about yourself? Shockingly, you can find me on GoombaStomp.com, and even more shockingly, you can expect to find a substantial amount of Octopath Traveler 2 content coming out in the coming weeks, you know, depending on whenever I get to finish enough of this game. Uh, in addition to that, you can find an Indie Game Spotlight coming up this weekend, and if you want to catch up with me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at CampbellSkill, uppercase CSG. I love it. And uh, Express is also on Twitter. We're on, uh, well, boy, what I usually say is Express is also on social media. But you know what? We are on Twitter. We're at Express Nintendo. Don't forget to rate, review, listen, subscribe, all that good stuff over on the podcast platform of your choice. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.